All right, so we're going to continue this series on the Word of God. Last week, we looked at John chapter 1, verse 1, and talked about that verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's actually 1 and 2. We talked about what the word word means in that sentence, and that the word uh, word was taken from the word logos. It's a Greek word. And we talked about the meaning of this Greek word uh, so that we could have a a more full understanding of what John was saying in those two verses, what what exactly he's talking about. Because to us, we just see the word word a lot, and it's kind of like, I really don't understand what's happening in this verse. It's just a lot of words. Words. So, uh, the word logos is a word that was used by the Greek. I want to give you a little bit of background, and then I want to tie it into what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to be, today we're going to be looking at John 1, verse 14. And I, I highlighted that last week, but today we're going to dive into that just a little bit more. It was a word used by the Greeks to refer to an ultimate plan that exists for the universe. It was also a word that was used to describe this idea or this principle that holds all things together. So when John introduces Jesus as the word in John 1.1, 1, 1, he's saying in the beginning was the one who holds all things together. In the beginning was the one who had a plan. And the one who holds all things together is Jesus. And we found that in Colossians 1.17, it reaffirms that he is the one who indeed holds all things together. But on my drive home, I, I, was, I was realizing that while I emphasized the fact that he's the one who holds all things together, I realized I completely overlooked the fact that he's the one who's also the master plan. Because the word logos also stands for the one with the master plan. He's not just the one who holds everything together. He's the one who planned it out in the first place. And so we know from Colossians chapter 1 that I alluded to last week that Jesus was there before the very beginning of the earth. And he was there with the plan, but better than that, he was the plan. See, God knew in his sovereignty that humanity was going to run from him. We were going to stray from him and we were going to choose ourselves over him. God knew in his, in his sovereign Right? That we were going we to stray from him and we were going to chase after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the lust of our hearts. And we were going we to run from him. But the plan all along was Jesus. And it was, just, it was just where these gospels kick off that this word, this Jesus who existed before everything else took on flesh. So it's not that he started when he became a baby. But he had always existed and he took the form of a person. He chose to come in the form of a baby. He could have come in any other form, but he, he wanted to, to experience all of what humans experience so that there couldn't be anything that we're kind of like, well, you don't know. It's hard to be a person. Childbirth is gross. You don't know. But he took that excuse away by, by coming in the form of a baby. Jesus was the answer. He is the answer. And knowing that he is the plan, he is the one, he's the fulfillment of that plan. Uh, Yeah, he's not just the plan, he's the fulfillment of it. Knowing that he is the one who holds all things together. I was was thinking about it and I, I realized there is really no way to overemphasize my gratitude and thanksgiving to him. Or to overplay the glory that that we owe him and the glory that he's due and the honor that he's due and the reverence that he deserves. 
You can't overplay it enough. You can't over, you can't exaggerate how much worship and honor and, and glory we owe him. And then you look at John 1.14 and it says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would show us today what it means that you are full of grace and truth. And what it means for us to follow as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a pretty remarkable verse. That they saw his glory and that he was full of grace and truth. Now, I'm, you, when, when it talks about describing it being him being full of grace and truth, he, I, he was full of grace. Right? I, 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 it seems language is limiting me here, but, but he was, he, that's what he was full of. Like, I've got a sample of grace and truth, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I've got the communion cup size sample of grace and truth available to draw from in my well. And all I need is for my kids not to go to bed for the second time or the third time to deplete that communion cup of grace that I have. And then I realize there's some other things going on in my soul. So actually, could you toss me the bottle of water? This, this water bottle has what? Nice toss. So this water bottle, this water bottle is full of water, right? So, so if, I, if I shake it, water is going to come out, right? But like if, if it was full of something else, something else would come out. So Jesus, being full of grace and truth, when he was shaken, grace and truth is what came out of him. If you shake me, you're going to get my grace pretty quick and you're going to get my truth really fast. And then you're going to get a whole lot of other stuff that has nothing to do with grace and truth or the work of Jesus. Except for the fact that Jesus is still working on it. I guess there's that. Right? So when you're shaken, the thing that comes out. So he was full of it as in there wasn't other, there wasn't anything else. There weren't other things. Grace and truth weren't masking sin or covering sin or making up for sin or covering sin. Didn't have to do that because there was none of that. He was full of grace and truth. And because he was full of grace and truth, his glory was evident as he was even just a man. Now, it says that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Now, how did they see his glory? He didn't have some angelic, like, glow. He was remarkably natural. He didn't have a halo, didn't have wings. He wasn't super intimidating. You know, when the angel of the Lord showed up to Mary to let her know that Jesus was going to be born, she was scared. You know that these warriors in the Old Testament, when the angels of the Lord showed up before them, they dropped down to the ground and worshipped because they were so terrified. Jesus shows up and that's not what you see people do. Because he was remarkably natural. So how did they see the glory of God in this man that was so natural? He was a carpenter. He was normal. I showed a picture of what he looked like a few years ago. A Palestinian Jesus. You know, he, he wasn't white. What? Thank you, JC. We had a concert on, on Friday night to celebrate the uh, church's 35th anniversary with Andy Minio. 
And it was really, it was really good. My favorite line of the whole night was when Minio was rapping. I guess I, I've been to one concert, and so I feel like I can call him Minio. Like, he, the rapper was, he, he's, like, he's like talking about things that he used to believe growing up. And he's like, I used to believe that Jesus was white. And it was like, oh, me too. You know, but I just enjoyed that line. He wasn't white. So bad news for anybody who was looking for a white Jesus to rescue them. Um, It'll be like, what? (laughs) But how did they see his glory? They saw his glory, I think, in three different ways. That he had a, a declaration, a demonstration, and an invitation. And I want to I talk about these three things, not as a straightforward process, not as a one, two, three, but as kind of a, it, it would really go like invitation, declaration, demonstration, demonstration, declaration, invitation, right? And it, it, it kind of like a mix-a-cup thing, right? So it's not a straightforward process, but I'm going to speak of it in terms of the declaration that was made, the demonstration he gave, and the invitation that he offers, He opens up his ministry, Jesus did, with this declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then he doesn't define it. Now, to the Jewish people he was speaking to, they would have heard it and they would have had a sense of what he was speaking about, but their sense was off. What they were looking for in the kingdom of heaven coming to hand was for them to take their rightful place and for them to rule over everybody on this earth in this time uh, because they thought that that's what the kingdom of heaven would, would look like and feel like, but it wasn't that. And so there's this kingdom of heaven coming that's at hand and people had to repent and return to God. But what on earth did it mean? And so he starts to unpack this a little bit throughout his ministry to, to make additional declarations to clarify this initial comment that is made, this, this, initial, uh, this initial proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the Beatitudes, we see in Matthew chapter 5, we see that he, it, it opens up with verse 2. It says, and he opened his mouth. And I love the way that started because, family, we need to know and understand that there is a time where you're going to have to open your mouth and make a declaration and use words to describe the goodness and the glory of God, to describe what he's done for you, what he, what he's taken you from, what he's bringing you into and what's available for the people that you know and love. It's not just the people that you know and love. It's also the people that you don't know. It's also for the people that you don't love. It's also for the people that you know that you don't love and we could, you figure it out. But he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's funny, I only say blessed when I read this verse. I would say blessed any other time in my life. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things on, uh, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your, rejoice is, for your reward is great in heaven. For they 
persecuted the prophets who were before you. This distinct message where he turned economy on its head and he changed the seat of power from those ruling in government to those who were ruled over by the government. This this paradoxical world where the meek were the ones who were going to conquer, where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness were going to be filled with, with righteousness and the love and the power of God. It wasn't going to be the rich. It wasn't going to be the influential. It wasn't going to be the powerful, but it was going to be those who lacked and those who needed and those who were broken. He turns everything that they expected to be on the, on his head. And he's starting to describe for them, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be, look, be looking like. It's not going to be you ruling over people. It's going to be me rolling over all creation and my grace and my glory being known by all. But there were other teachers at the time. There were other lessons being taught. And not just bad ones. There was this guy named John. He was a, he, John the baptizer, the one who was baptizing people in the river. He had these disciples. And all John was doing is saying he preached the same message. He was saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Get baptized. Come to the water. Get washed clean. Be cleansed. Because the kingdom of heaven is here and it's completely different than you expect and you're not ready for it. And his disciples are like, John, what's going on with this Jesus dude? He's kind of getting up on our territory. He's preaching the same message. Is he cool? Are we cool with him preaching the same message? Hey, there's a Christian church moving in down the road. Are we cool with them? They're trying to reach people in the same area that we're trying to reach people in. Are we okay with that? He seems pretty gifted, John. <laughs> I just got to tell you, he seems, he seems pretty strong. He's preaching these messages and crowds are going to him. His ministry's growing faster than our ministry. And John's like, hey, could you just go check in on it? So his John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they're like, hey, so uh, just want to check, make sure we're playing for the same team. Because either we want to murder you or we want to celebrate you. <laughs> we're not sure which way this is going to go. And Jesus answered them. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Building out and building up this picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. And what it should look like. He didn't say, look at me, I'm growing in stature and my following is growing. (laughs) Check out my Instagram feed for all my inspirational quotes. (laughs) And follow me and track me on Facebook and watch my FaceTime Live Bible study. No, he didn't do that. He said, let me me show you what the, the power of God is doing. Let me show you how I'm making things new. Let me show you how I'm renewing and refreshing and inspiring those who are broken, overlooked, abused. I want to pause for just a second and just ask, what is the declaration of your mouth? What declaration are we making, family? What's the declaration of your Facebook thread? What's the declaration of your Twitter feed or your Instagram or your Snapchat? What's the declaration at the water cooler? 
if they've still got those at your workplace. What's your declaration when you get cut off on 66? (laughs) What's the declaration of your mouth? Does it sound like the kingdom of heaven? Or does it sound like the kingdom of of you? (laughs) Kevin. We need to guard our lips. Then came a demonstration because he didn't come just with words, he came with power. And Paul would echo that same sentiment in his letter to the Corinthians. But he performed miracles. The miracles he was just speaking of are the same miracles that were occurring at his hands and at his will. In Mark chapter 5, it said that so few people believed that he couldn't do miracles, he could only heal a few people. I think it's hilarious that he couldn't do miracles, he could only heal a few people. Like that scale is completely off of what I think of in my normal life. I'm like, shoot, if I could heal a person, like one, once, I'd consider that a pretty remarkable miracle. I would consider that to be absolutely extraordinary. And it's like, eh, he couldn't perform any miracles. He only healed a few people. Because the faith of the people in this town was so low. They doubted the truth of his message. They doubted the declaration that he made. And so they weren't even open or interested in a demonstration of the things that he was saying. And certainly that's true that we can stand up and we can say that, hey, there's, there's another life available for you. There's a greater purpose available to you. And not everybody's going to jump at that. Not everybody's going to be eager and anxious to approach it and to accept it. Not everybody's going to be eager to unpack it and, and hold, take hold of it and, and, and see it for everything that it is and enjoy it for everything that it has. That's the way it was in his hometown. But even in the lack of faith and expectation for Jesus to be able to move, miracles still occurred. Just not at the scale that these people needed it to happen in. He healed a guy at the pool of Bethsaida. He raised an official son. He raised a 12-year-old girl from the death. He, he brought Lazarus back from the dead after he'd been dead for a minute. First he wept, and then he brought Lazarus back from the dead. I was talking, I think it might have been Scott, earlier this week or last week, we were talking about the, why Jesus wept. And we could, we could talk for forever about why Jesus wept and assign many, many reasons to it. Here's where I'm persuaded right now. I'm persuaded. The reason Jesus wept. So here's the story. Uh, everybody's like, you got to hear Lazarus. He's dying. And he's like, I'll get there when I get there. Chill. And, you know, we hate that answer from Jesus. And he doesn't quite say it that way, but he says it that way. And, and then he, he, Lazarus dies and they bury him. And so Jesus is still coming, so, but now he's dead. And, and Mary and everybody, they're all upset because Jesus didn't get there in time to heal him. And, and Jesus weeps. And, and it's like, why is Jesus weeping? I think he's weeping. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's not so sad that Lazarus is dead, that he's sad that this is where everything is in the first place. He was the one with the plan in the very beginning. He's the one who created everything. Certainly he knew all of this stuff was going to happen. But sometimes you know something's going to happen. But when it happens, you see it and you're like, this is terrible. This is awful. 
And he's sitting here and he's, he's looking at the whole situation. He's like, Lazarus is dead. You're upset. You doubt me. He's like, it shouldn't have never been this way. Where, where did, how far back do we have to go to find the, the root of this thing, right? Like Lazarus shouldn't be dead because people weren't supposed to die. They shouldn't be doubting Jesus because people were supposed to be able to trust him completely. Everything had unraveled and he's looking at it and he's like, this is so far from how things are supposed to be. But I'll heal him, but he's going to die again. And you're going to doubt again. It was never supposed to be this way. The other side of that is, but that's why I'm here. That's why he was there. To bring the kingdom of heaven. And to teach the disciples how to usher in the kingdom of heaven. By showing love and compassion and mercy and healing. He taught them how to usher in the kingdom of heaven by teaching them how to pray. He could have taught them any prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll stop there. He could have taught them anything. Because you know when Jesus was sneaking away to talk to the Father in the morning and the evening, when he was hiding away from the disciples and talking to the Father, you know he wasn't just reciting that over and over and over. He was opening up his heart to the Father and he was listening to the Father's instruction and the the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And they were talking and Jesus is like, I know you see it, but this feels really bad. I know you feel it. I know you know it. But the situation down here is, is exhausting. I have to eat food. I have to walk from place to place. I have to be mocked and scorned by those people who hate us. That's an additional part of this demonstration is the intimacy that he had with the Father. It wasn't just the big miraculous things. You know, sometimes when we want to demonstrate something, we, we just focus on the, on the big thing and we miss the little thing in the process. You know, it's like we want to show that, that, we're, that we're following Jesus or we want to be a good Jesus follower. So we do the big outside visible things, but we don't do the quiet, small, private things of reading our Bible. We don't do the still quiet things of, of forgiveness, of mercy, of giving to people in need when nobody else knows of sowing into uh, friends and family and, and, and other people, of, of giving sacrificially of our time. But we might come real dressed up to church. Or we might come dressed just right in the middle enough <laughs> so that that's the right way to do it. Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to move with compassion and love and grace and truth. He demonstrated what it looks like to walk closely with the Father. And even Jesus, who could have done and said anything, said, I choose only to do what I see the Father doing. And here's this invitation. The invitation of Jesus was not, hey, 
Salvation's available over there. Right? I, 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 I've got this phrase that I use sometimes with, with leaders in different circles, and it, we call it the Nordstrom's treatment. Like there's the Exxon treatment, and you've got the Nordstrom's treatment. Now, not to knock Exxon, whatever. But like, have you ever gone in there and needed direction somewhere? And the person just wasn't interested in giving you directions? Maybe I'll call it gas station so you don't get caught up on Exxon. Gas station. You go to a gas station and you're like, hey, I really need to get to the interstate. And they're like, and you're like, that really doesn't help. Or they're like, yeah, it's just go that way. And you're like, really not helpful. Thanks. I really, I'm going to go just cry in my car. I guess we use our, our phones now, right? So this example is falling apart. So go to a gas station and ask for a kale salad. And just think of that look, whatever you get. <laughs> the Nordstrom's treatments where you're, you're like, you could just go for ask for something ridiculous and be like, I'd like a sandwich. Like, sir, this is a clothing store. I know. Well, let me take you. <laughs> right? You ever, don't try that. I don't know if that's actually going to work for you. But, but instead of saying, hey, it's over there, or I, I don't know. Or the kingdom of heaven is kind of ambiguously around here somewhere. He said, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Come with me. Come with me so that you can learn the, the way. Come with me so that you can learn how this is supposed to be. Come with me so you can experience the, the kingdom of heaven in this life. Come with me so that you can, you can ex- know what truth and grace feels like. Come with me so that you can know love. Come with me. It was an invitation into a relationship with him. That for these disciples was a 24-7 relationship. And for us, we're invited into that same thing. If you're only coming to church on Sunday, if that's the only time that you come with him, if that's the only time you're walking with Jesus is on a Sunday morning, you're missing out on most of what he has for you. He's inviting us to come and connect with him by his Holy Spirit through his word and through the word. Through the Logos, Jesus. He's invited us to connect with him and to walk with him and to know him every day. Not just Sunday mornings. But it wasn't just to him. It was also to a community. He said, come with me. And then he said, and you come with me. And you come with me. And you're going to come with one another after me. I've said it before, but he didn't invite them to himself together because he needed them that way. It's because they were going to need each other because he knew he was going to be gone. They were going to need the encouragement from one another, the inspiration, the challenge. He needed them to agitate each other and to argue. Like when they were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Like, hey, Jesus, we're just kind of wondering, can we be in charge right next to you? Because we feel like we're better than them. (laughs) Right? He needed them for them. He invites us into this community. And I would say that if you're only experiencing the community of the church on Sunday mornings, you're, you're also missing out on much of what God has for you. This is why we do small groups. This is why we have hangouts. 
This is why you don't need to do either of those things, and we've all got phones. God invented the cell phone so that you could get connected with the body of believers. I said it here. It happened here. Al Gore invented the internet. (laughs) Some of y'all got it. So that you could connect to the life of the church. It wasn't for Sports Center. That was second place. It wasn't for Netflix. Technology has advanced the way that it has so that we could be more connected to one another for the glory of God. Otherwise, he would have smashed it a long time ago. Today, we're being invited. Really daily, we're being invited to respond to his love with our personal surrender. To choose to follow him to obey him, to let him be not just the king of the, of the entire universe, as Pastor Eddie highlighted during communion, but to be the king of our lives, to direct and guide us. And, and that requires a surrendering of our own will and an intentional decision to follow him. The other invitation is to join him in this mission. The other invitation, once you've surrendered, is there's a second invitation to come along and to make this declaration with him that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To demonstrate the kingdom of heaven by showing compassion and love and mercy. Empowered and inspired by the Spirit of God. And then to join him in inviting those we know to come along your family members, your neighbors. Hey, come along. I want to show you something. Hey, I've got somebody I need you to meet. Hey, I want to talk about, you ever talk, you ever thought much about Jesus, who he is or what he's done? Hey, I want to, I want to introduce you to my, to my church family, to my church community. Hey, come on. I want to show you something. We're being invited to surrender to God and to join him on his mission. And that's our call today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we hear you speaking to our hearts. I ask that you would stir our affection for you and that you would make us acutely aware of your grace and truth today. That we wouldn't leave trying to just check a bunch of boxes to say the right thing or do the right thing or invite everybody we know to do it right away. But we would leave compelled by your Holy Spirit to join with you in the declaration and demonstration of your kingdom so that those who hurt can be healed, so that those who are dead in their sins could be raised to life in your resurrection. there's anybody here today and you just want to want to freshly surrender your life to Jesus and choose to follow him. Can you raise your hand? I want to pray with you quickly. See that hand? That's great. See that hand as well. That's wonderful. 
You can put your hands down after you raise them. Y'all, it's not about raising the hand. The hand just, the hand just signifies on the outside what God is doing on the inside. It gives me an opportunity to hopefully catch you in the hallway so we can talk about what, what God's doing in your heart. But if you raised your hand, please pray with me. Father, today, I surrender. Thank you for drawing me to yourself. I hear you inviting me into your love. I hear you inviting me into your transformative power. God, I turn from the, from the way that I've been doing life and I commit to following you. Give me the courage to trust you and to put my faith and my hope in you and not in myself. In Jesus' name. And then for all of us, God, I ask that you would help us not just to experience the goodness of your presence on Sunday morning, but all the way through the week so that we can experience the fullness of what you have for us and that we wouldn't just encounter one another on Sunday morning, but you would stir our hearts to be with one another throughout the week so that we can spur one another on in our faith, so that we can encourage and challenge and inspire one another towards good deeds that all demonstrate the glory of your goodness and line up with the declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Jesus' name, amen.